Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Episode of Real Hawk Talk. Uh, I am Brian Emhauser at Hawk Blogger on Twitter, and we have an interesting show tonight. It is a turbulent time for your Seattle Seahawks, and we are going to talk about it, uh, hear about your points of view uh, as well, and uh, look at this Steelers game. Um, and we're going to do things in some random orders tonight that are different than a normal show. So sit back, relax, uh, or join in the chat right now on, on YouTube uh, or elsewhere. Uh, you can give us a quick like. It takes only two seconds to click the thumbs up. Click the subscribe. Click the bell um, to get notified when we go live. And uh, head over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Uh, gets you immediate access to the Slack channel and a lot of good conversation from a lot of good people uh, to, as we say, celebrate and commiserate Unfortunately, there's been a little bit more of the latter uh, so far this season, um, and we're going to talk about that. Before we get into the details, let's bring in the fellas. We got a we got a tight crew tonight, which is going to mean plenty of airtime for everybody. Uh, let's start by getting our Canadian brother from another mother up in uh, Toronto, Jeff Simmons. How are you doing, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, I'm excited to hear Evans' takes tonight, but. 
so it'll be, it'll be a much different conversation. So I'm excited to hear what everyone has to say. Uh, our, our thread's been a little different this week, so. It's been crickets. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an, I'm curious to hear whatever, where everyone's head's at. Yes, yes. Uh, with us as well, uh, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11. Nathan, uh, how's life treating you? Doing good. I mean, all non-Seahawks related aspects of my life are uh, pretty all right right now. So, uh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, and and the uh, the pregnant uh, implication of of that statement is the Seahawks stuff isn't going so good. Uh, Jeff and I, you and I, were talking about this before the show started. It's it's a little bit of this weird thing, and and we talk about this, you know, the frustration we've had at times with the Seahawks and how hard they are to cheer for sometimes because they just torture you as a fan. But the flip side is when they're not playing well and there's not a lot on the line, it's kind of like a limp noodle, like it's like pushing a rope, like there's just not <laughs> there's nothing there, so. How do you guys deal with that? Uh, Nathan, if you don't mind starting, like how does your approach to your weeks change when the Seahawks are, are uh, not playing well? You know, so far it hasn't. Um, I was still really interested to jump in and kind of look at the first half, second half for the defense in that last game. Um, you know, look at Gino. I mean, uh, I mean, we can get into this more, but like, you know, this rest injury isn't the end of the season. I think none of us have really high aspirations for this team, but, um, you know, if the defense can look more like the good defense that we've seen at times, there's a chance that they can kind of ride out some of these games and they can still be a playoff team. And so I haven't completely abandoned all hope yet. And so my lead up to the, the game hasn't changed all that much. Interesting. Well, we definitely want to give airtime to that. Uh, anytime there's hope and optimism, there's there's space for it on the show. Uh, Jeff, how about you? I'm in sort of a weird place right now because I remember talking to you, Brian, before the season. Just felt like so much was on the line this season, and just as a fan, I was pretty stressed going into the first game and just how meaningful every game would be with the whole rust thing lingering over the team and how the off season went. And sort of the way everything is trended right now and where everything's going, especially with the injury, I'm sort of at peace in a weird way. Usually like a loss to the Rams in the way it happened last week where they didn't play particularly well and a lot of weird shit happened. Usually a game like that like eats me up for a while and like it's really hard to get over. But sort of where we've been and there's been sort of the anti-Pete group and I was never as far on that side, but I'm sort of at the point where now where I'm just, ready for change and ready for things to move on. So if things Russ being injured on top of where the team's been trending, I'm sort of ready for a change at this point. And just, um, I'm almost ready to just take a step back, hope that the season does lead to change. And so I'm at peace sort of where everything is. And I'm almost going into this game, like a preseason game. I just want to see, I don't really care about the result as much. I just want to see things from certain players. I'm almost going into this game, hoping to see things, looking at players to move forward with, and it's almost relieving in a weird way. Are you more excited to see BJ Finney or Akella Witherspoon this week? <laughs> I think Witherspoon's played like four snaps this year. Yeah. I yeah. think he got burned for a deep ball in one of them. So, yeah, <laughs> so it's going to be a weird game. It's Seahawks East, you know, the, the yeah. roster. Um, uh, 
Nathan, you know, I was going to go a different direction, but I want to, I want to take a few seconds on kind of the direction you were going. So, um, you know, you said you looked at the game and, uh, you know, you said you, you still see a path to where this team is, is a playoff team and that that's kind of, you know, where your head's at. Say a little bit more about that. What's, what's, uh, what are you seeing that's giving you that, that optimism? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think that we've seen, I mean, the, the, the CX defense has been extremely Jekyll and Hyde. I never remember which one is the good one, but in this case, it's <laughs> it's the average at best one. But if if the defense can be average at best and and Gino can be uh you know a solid game manager, right? Um, you know, they've got some winnable games ahead of them, right? Like they can beat the Steelers, they can beat the Jaguars. That Saints game is gonna be tough. You know, I, I don't think there's much hope for the Packers game, but that was probably gonna be a loss anyways, to be honest. So um they can ride this out potentially and still end up in the playoffs i mean for whatever that's worth right i think there's a lot of opinions at least amongst us about what that means and what that's worth um but this isn't oh they're gonna go like five and 12 or whatever now like it's not completely sunk yet yeah jeff do you want them to make the playoffs I'm conflicted. I don't really know right now. Um, I'm going to say, I, I think maybe no. I think I want what's going to prompt real change for this organization because it just seems like they're trending. And the biggest thing I'm looking at, honestly, is the, the head of the football operation, the coach. I, well, I'm sure we'll get into our opinions on what we're going to, we think they should do. But if they make the playoffs and Russ comes back and the defense starts to turn, like, yeah, I'm going to be excited. I know how quickly I'll, my mind works and how. But big picture, really, my biggest thing right now is I want to see real change with this team. It seems like they've everything we've talked about over the last three years, all the issues they've had, they've all sort of come to a head here where it's been the drafting and the vision of the roster building that doesn't match the coach and they're not setting up for Russ either. So I'm more focused on doing whatever prompts change because I'm tired of just the stress every week of this team. And now we seem like they seem so far from being a contender, even though they probably aren't, but I'm most focused on like the big picture view. If they make the playoffs, great. If we start to see things out of guys like Jordan Brooks, who's been pretty much a disaster this year, Trey Brown, guys like that, if they start to be, if they lead the playoff charge versus guys who aren't going to be in the future, then I'm okay with that. But really, again, I'm more looking at what this organization do to move forward because Right now, I'm sort of sick of where things are trending. Yeah, yeah. Nathan, I mean, you saying that they can get to the playoffs and you see a path there doesn't necessarily mean that that's the, the best thing um, for the organization and the, the bigger picture. You know, what what is your take there? Well, I, I mean, there is value in having a high second round versus a low second round. Um, but without a first round pick, I can't get all aboard the the tank train. I mean, um, I back back in Pete Carroll's very first year, we had the same argument among you know it was at the very last, and if they lose that last game, they get like the eighth or eleventh pick in the draft, or if they win it, they go into the playoffs. Um, I was yeah, right. definitely team don't make the playoffs, uh, and they missed out on a chance to Jake to draft Jake Locker because of it. So, um, <laughs> but this is like with no first round pick, it, it just to me it doesn't make 
a lot of sense to be rooting for them to lose at this point. Um, I also don't know that, especially now with the Russ injury, that if they like end up for a four or five one team, does that actually cause any change? Well, that's an interesting point. And I mean, you talked about the draft. That's one aspect of the, you know, implication of a, a down year. You know, my, uh, the other implication for me is more what Jeff was talking about, which is a team that plays really poorly and that maybe is at the end of the rope, you know, various ropes, that increases the likelihood of a change. I think if the team makes the playoffs, the likelihood of a change is less. Um, I, I think we all agree on that. Is Would you all, all agree with that? Yeah. I mean, certainly yeah. any kind of top down from like Jody Allen changes for sure. So, yeah. So I think the question really, like, it depends on what kind of Seahawks fan you are. And, and again, like I, I tried to write about it in, in my article earlier this week. I don't, I don't look negatively at anyone who's like, screw you saying anything, but winning's good. And like, let's just play this out as long as we can. And that's totally fine. Like, I get that. For me personally, I've I've just had real questions about this roster, you know, um, in terms of I liked I liked a lot of the moves that they made with the assumption that this team could contend this year. When it's become clear that this is not a team that's going to contend, I think this roster looks horrible. I think it looks really, really bad. And I start looking out beyond this and I'm like, oh man, how long are you going to wait before you make the big changes? Because the longer you wait to make, wait to make those big changes, the longer you are a mediocre or worse team. And the worst thing you can be in the NFL is mediocre. You do not benefit from being in the middle of the pack. You benefit from being the worst and obviously you benefit from being the best, but being in the middle is not a good place to be. So um that's my concern is like I don't want to play this string out another three years you know um I I just don't I don't think this team I don't think this team at its best right now is going to be an interesting team this year and if it's not gonna be an interesting this year I don't think it's gonna be one next year I think it's time to make changes so that's that's where I'm not I would never root against the team yeah. ever I will always even if logically I am like hey you know it'd be better if maybe they didn't I will always want the Seahawks to kick everyone's ass and win every game always um but that's kind of just my my instinct bigger picture wise that 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 uh, uh that's that's a that's a challenge um if they end up making the playoffs this year I think that might actually be a, a more negative thing for them um in the big picture yeah, and I think Nathan hit a good point earlier that it'd be much easier to cheer for them to lose if they had a first-round draft pick, number one. But I don't know if you guys have started looking into college football at all or the draft. It's a really weird, even maybe even bad draft class. And honestly, if you remember the 2013 draft, this draft is really reminiscent of the 2013. There's like no quarterback prospects. It was a, funny enough, that was the Geno Smith draft. And the top players in the draft in that year were like, Luke Jokel, Eric Fisher was the number one pick. Um, I And all the Seahawks had all those other top 10 guys who busted. This draft is really, really similar to that, where if you look at like who the best players in the country are right now, there's a defensive end from Oregon, and there's a couple guys on defense and a couple offensive tackles, but there's not a lot of like 
high-end prospects in this draft. So it's a weird spot to be in where losing normally would be a great thing in this year because I can mention some other teams that have lost and had that instant benefit from it. So it's a really conflicting situation moving forward because there's not a quarterback really in this draft unless you hit on something. There's not the player. So even if you end up with the eighth pick, like it's a weird situation. Yeah, my my so I want to ask you guys a couple of questions around this, and and we will get to the Steelers game, I promise. Um, uh, so so one, I mean, just on that, I I don't think there's a problem. I don't think there was a problem with getting Earl Thomas and Russell Okung and Golden Tate, and you know KJ Wright and Richard Sherman before we got. Russell Wilson. So I, I don't know that the quarterback has to be the very first thing. It's not, it's not just the quarterback. Man, Cam was in that draft too, right? Cam was in 2010. 2010 draft was great though. This 20, this draft class entire, like entirely. Like there's not a lot of. Was Sherm 2010 or 2011? Sherm was 2011. Mm-hmm. Sherm, oh, okay. KJ, Maxwell. Yeah, 2010 was Cam, Earl. Golden. Uh, Russell, Tom, Golden. Golden. KJ. Like that draft KJ was, was 2011. Yeah. KJ was 2011? Yeah. yeah. KJ was like middle of 2011. I thought KJ like right away stepped in and pushed Curry out. Did we have a full year of Curry in there? It was a full year of Curry. There was Curry, yeah. Lofa, and someone else. Yes. Okay. KJ Wright's first start, Seahawks trivia at San Francisco at middle linebacker. Middle linebacker. I remember that. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's his only start at middle linebacker. I'm not positive, but um, yeah. So, so let me ask you guys some some random questions because we're going to have a little bit of fun this is this is not meant to be taken too seriously and it's not meant to be an indication of of uh, any preference but i'm just curious about this for you guys so let's assume for a second a scenario let's it's a big guess but let's assume that pete and john are gone okay just for the sake of like let's assume that there's a total change at the top all right so that that's part of this scenario all right I want to run through some trade scenarios for you guys, and I want to hear from you whether it's a yes or a no. Okay. So I'm going to start with the first one. These are all Russell Wilson trades, by the way. Um, and, and they might be no for every one of them. And that's totally fine. Um, but part of the point of this is just your, your, to your point there, there aren't a lot of quarterbacks that are interesting and in even maybe the next couple of years, you know, if you yeah. college football. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the things uh, I'm kind of curious about is, okay, we know the Bears showed interest last year. Would you take Justin Fields and two first-round picks for Russell Wilson? I think the Bears say no. The Bears don't offer that, right? Do they not offer that? Are you sure? I don't think they would. Okay, let's say for a second that they do. I think that's yeah. one of the few trades I would do. Yeah, I think I, that's almost like a – The slam dunk. Like, run yeah <laughs> that's in like almost in a heartbeat i do that like it hurts a little but yeah that's interesting because i don't think justin fields is a slam dunk if i'm the bears like russell wilson for the next 10 years is probably going to be a better quarterback than justin fields and give you a much better chance to win so i'm a little surprised you guys think that the justin fields thing is so obviously a no for the bears i just you know he has already shown something and so, like, yeah, no, he's not a, a slam dunk or anything. Like, he's not a sure thing, right? But I, I think it'd be hard to find a more valuable prospect at this point. Someone that is still in a rookie year, you're getting additional first-round picks, 
and he's shown something already. You know, I mean, like Trevor Lawrence, right? I mean, everybody loved him coming out. And so far, it's been rocky and a lot of circumstance around that. But so just to see Fields, you know, already playing well, I think that really puts him on a pedestal in terms of like what I don't know if there's many more valuable players in the league maybe than than Fields right now. Interesting. Yeah, I don't see him that way. But but I mean, I think he's interesting, but I think that that's. Well, I, I think, think that's a big gamble. I agree, but I think the complicated part of every Russell trade, and there's going to—I know you're going to bring this up later. There's going to be reasons to trade Russell now because of the possible alignments with certain teams that have the draft capital. Mm-hmm. But the question in all these trades is, what's the path to getting the next quarterback? Because if you look around the league, the guys coming available, and like, like Aaron Rodgers doesn't really fill what this team needs. It's Teddy Bridgewater. It's Sam Darnold. And that's it. And then you're hoping to hit on a draft pick or Ryan Fitzpatrick. So the fields thing gives you that answer and it gives you the draft capital. Like you're not going to get Trevor Lawrence because Russell's not going to go to Jacksonville. You're not going to get like, well, hold on. Don't, don't start going the knots. So, okay. So, so ask- I'm just saying, I think the fields thing really solves the biggest question is what's the path to your next quarterback. And it lets you build it other ways. So another, another place that we know, um, Russell is interested in and I'm going to ask two at once here so is New York so what if uh the New York Giants offered Daniel Jones and two first round picks or the New York Jets offered Zach Wilson and two first round picks would either of those tempt you I think I need another pick for both in both situations in both situations yeah you know, another the Daniel Jones or just another pick another first. Yeah, I think so. The Daniel Jones thing is kind of interesting because like he's bad. I don't think there's any question about that, mm-hmm. um, but he is still young. And so you do get a wild card. You can start him for a year, probably win five games, get another high pick in addition to the one, you know, and then you get in the Giants picks as well. Um so, I mean, that's a tank path where you kind of throw in an interesting wild card, um, which is mostly what I think about Zach Wilson, too, at this point. I'm a hard no on the Daniel Jones. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of him, and he's he's in his third or fourth year at this point. Yeah, let's see, he's paid at some point, right? You're almost used up his whole rookie contract. So, you if he hits, then you've got to pay him, and then you've kind of wasted the whole point of this trade. So, Zach, I'm not sold on Zach Wilson. I never really was sold on him. But you can convince me with more, at least it's just a total flyer. At least if the draft capital is better, may, the Jets and see it, you might get your pick back. <laughs> That's the thing, right? So, <laughs> so part of that would be getting a Jamal Adams trade uh, pick back. You might have, anyway, so that, that, I mean, I think there's some interesting pieces there. The other one I was going to ask you guys about was, um, I don't know if, if this is on Russell's list or he consider it or not. If Philly offered you three first round picks and Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I think I think I'm higher on Hertz than I am on either Wilson or Jones. Yeah, and the Philly picks are going to be valuable because they have Miami's pick. Miami made that really stupid trade last year to move up like four spots for Jalen Waddle. And then they have the Colts pick. And the Colts are like one and four. So that can be three top ten picks and Jalen Hurts, who's probably the best of most of these quarterbacks. Other than I, I'm not crazy about Hertz. I, I think he's 
I don't think he has a crazy upside, but I think he'd be a great stopgap while you build up the rest of the roster. There's one other, and I don't, again, I don't know where this is on Russ's list. Um, what about Miami? If it was Tua and let's say two first round picks. Do they have the picks though? I don't know. They have San Francisco's picks the next two years, but not their own. Hmm. I don't love Tua. I mean, if I was going to, I don't think two picks is enough with, with yeah. Tua. Um, I think if I had to rank those offers, it would be Fields, Hertz, um, the Jets with Wilson, and then I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah. care at that point. <laughs> Probably two, I guess, just because he's a little younger. But yeah, I mean, to me, I, any of those teams with three first round picks is something I would pull the trigger on. Um, the interesting piece there is like, so of those, I mean, you guys have both, you know, maybe in private conversations, more public, but, but I, I think you guys have been on the path of let's keep Wilson and let's just replace the coaches. Um, you know, maybe the personnel people, but mainly focusing on the coaches. Let's say that you get a new, new coach. Are there any of those that you would do even with a new coach, like, or any of those that, you know, you wouldn't do regardless? Um, I sound like the Daniel Jones one for you, Jeff, is a no regardless. Yeah. Um, but let me, let me just restate. So are there any of those that you would say yes to, even if you got a new coach? The Fields one. And I'm pretty thing I can convince myself in the Hurts one pretty quickly. Especially if the new coach is Devil. Just because, I mean, his, he's, I don't know, he's got a track record at this point, or he at least managed to work some magic with Josh Allen. So um, you give him a young quarterback that's talented like that, I, I would be interested in in that for sure. Yeah, and so can you say a little bit more about, is it Dabble or Dable, Brian Dable? I honestly don't know. I think I it's know. Dabble, right? <laughs> I, I don't know. You, you, yeah, I honestly don't know. So um, for folks that don't know who that is, most folks might, but just can you share a little bit more about uh, the Buffalo guy? Yeah, Bill's offensive coordinator. He's been working with Josh Allen. They've um, not only did Josh Allen like turn from a just a pile of tools, uh, you know, into maybe, you know, a top five quarterback at this point. Um, uh, they are pushing the envelope on like, for early down path rates, path rates and stuff like that. So um, really kind of modern uh, quarterback focused offensive coordinator. And yeah. to add that, he's got a really unique background. He coached for both Saban and Bill Belichick. He's been an offensive coordinator. This has been by far his best job, but he's really highly regarded in terms of like his leadership style. And one of the criteria I think is important for hiring a coach is not just like who's Andy Reid's next great assistant. I like someone that is a little different than the head coach and sort of controls their side of the ball. Like McDermott is one of the best coaches in the league, but he's more on the defensive side. He lets Dable run his side of the ball. I think that's really, really important for identifying coaching candidates. Yeah, no, I think he would definitely be high, very high on my list if he, if he manages to be available. Although, who knows, the Raiders might go in and sw swoop him up now. Uh, God, that was a crazy story. We're not going to spend time on it. But, uh, um, yeah, and there's, there's stuff in the chat. And I want to kind of speak to it as well. Um, jumped ahead a little bit, but that's partially because I just want to have some, some new conversation. But um, 
we should all talk about our perspective on how you make the decision about whether you keep Russ or not. So for, for me, I'll offer that, um, and I've mentioned this on, on in other conversations before, that it has zero to do with Russ's capabilities or how long he's going to play. Um, I, I think that, well, it has something to do with, that, that's not totally true. So here, here's how I look at it. I think that the Seahawks, you know, are in trouble at a variety of positions and are going to need to, to really rebuild in, in a lot of places. Um, left tackle, cornerback, um, linebacker, uh, defensive line. Um, you know, there's some older players there. Uh, you know, yeah. So I think there's just a lot of places that the, the team is going to have to look to rebuild. And my question is, but I guess the way I look at it is if you get the best possible matchup with Russell, and let's say you get something that produces as much as like Andy Reed and Patrick Mahomes have together, like best offense in the NFL or one of the top three, right? That's the best case scenario. I still have real questions about whether you're gonna be able to get a defense good enough and other complementary players good enough in that period of time in order to contend. And so, you know, where is Bobby Wagner in a year, two years? Where is Dwayne Brown in a year or two years? Um, where are we with the cornerbacks? Where are we? So I have questions about whether there's enough around Russell, even with the best possible coaching matchup to where the Seahawks are going to contend. And I think if you don't, if, if that doesn't work out, if you don't win a Super Bowl in the next three years after you get that new coach, then you've used up like the prime value years for Russell. And I don't think you're going to get three first round picks for him from anybody um, at that, you know, 36, 37 year old Russell. So it's just my overall assessment of where the roster is that I don't want to take that gamble. I want to take the biggest gamble, which is to reset the <laughs> whole thing because it has the biggest potential reward, huge risk, but it has the biggest reward. I, I think that, as I've said in other places, if you want change, you have to make change. And the more you keep the same, the less potential there is for change. And so that's kind of where I am um, on that and why I, you know, I'm entertaining, you know, what would be options to, to really just reset and not just re reload. Um, Jeff, can you talk a little bit about like, how are you thinking through that? Like, where's, where, you know, maybe both pragmatically and, and emotionally. It's a tricky thing because I, I see what you're saying and the roster. I've talked about this in our thread and our show, just how much it's been almost scotch taped together for years. And they left themselves with no real long-term vision with the roster. It's been my biggest criticism of the front office. So yeah, I see what you're saying regarding trading Russell while his value is still at his peak because every year he plays, his value is just going to decrease and decrease. And his window doesn't really match the organizations right now. To me, it all comes down to whether you can get a path to an ex-quarterback. If you can, if you're just trading for first-round picks, I, I'd rather keep Russell. Um, I don't see a path to a quarterback in the coming years. I don't want to go into purgatory like so many of these teams have. You see like a team like Miami Dolphins, for example, they've done so much good work with Brian Flores and they've really used first round picks and built their team up. And all that work has basically come undone because they haven't found a quarterback. And there's a lot of the giants with Daniel Jones have been that way. They're now in this purgatory and 
Sam Darnold and the Jets have gone through that and Zach Wilson might not be a thing. So to me, if there's a field, if there's a Hertz in the first three round picks, then I shift towards Brian. But if it's just draft picks, like you look at even what like the Rams got for Jalen Ramsey, they trade two first round picks. I think that became Travis Etienne and a backup pass rusher. And if you're trading Russell for guys like that in a weak draft class, that to me isn't worth it. And I'd rather move forward with Russell see what you get. And if it doesn't work out, then you can start again through the draft. But so to me, it all comes down to, is there a path to your next quarterback? That by far is the biggest concern. And that will dictate my decision. Nathan, how about you? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm right there. Right. I mean, we, the chat's going crazy because we're talking about trading rust and I get it. Like we, but all of those trades had, with the exception of Daniel Jones and Zach Wilson, probably, like, and even Wilson, at least, it's interesting, right? I mean, a young, interesting quarterback, right, with multiple picks. That is, like, the one scenario where I'm really looking at, I'm seriously considering trading Russ right now. Um, because, yeah, for all the reasons that just said, just said, right, you're going to end up in purgatory if you can't find that quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's so interesting because purgatory is exactly what I'm concerned about. And I think that we're in purgatory. We're already there. We're not as much as people like want to, Oh, you weren't a fan during the nine. You, you should live through the, like there's, there's purgatory and there's like 1990s Seahawks purgatory, right? Like that wasn't purgatory. That was hell. But like the scenario okay. you're no, like seriously, that was two yeah. and fourteen. That was like the worst offense in the history like, of the franchise. Do you want to do you want to become the Denver Broncos after Peyton Manning and go through Trevor Simeon? And they've had a pretty good roster otherwise, and it's been Case Keenum and Trevor Simeon and Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, and they have all this talent. They've had all these first round picks and Bradley Chubb, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton. They've hit on all these picks, but they're stuck at six and ten. And that, to me, is what will dictate. That's why the path to the quarterback is everything. Yeah. So, so the '90s weren't that bad for the Seahawks. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not old. I, I so I didn't watch the Seahawks. But my understanding of the '90s Seahawks is they actually had some like talented defenses and stuff, and they could never get over the hump because of the quarterback situation. And and really, they had one two and fourteen season, but then a lot of eight and eight, seven and nines, eight and eight, eight and eight. Like you know that they were kind of a purgatory team back then. Yeah. They were awful. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. So I mean, we could, we could. It's probably not the most important debate. What purgatory <laughs> is. Um, you know, I, I, I hear your point, and I'm, you know, I, I won't belabor it. I, th- I think, I think the, the thing that I'm just really stuck on is I just don't think the team's going to win a, a ring with Russell at quarterback. Not be just because of Russell, but because of his cost, where he is in his career, and the amount of stuff that has to change around him. My concern is by the time we realize that, we're going to then have no no power chip to play in a rebuild, a reset process, none. And then we could be like 12 years out before like, you know, before the team's reset. So I think for me, I just think it's a huge risk to to, to, to stick with that path unless, you know, unless they ha- there's a way to like fill out the rest of the roster. I think in my mind, I'm already set for this being a three to five year rebuild process. Like, um, 
at any point that we do it. So anyway, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's going to be a really fascinating debate um, and fascinating to watch. Let's talk for a second about this change at the top. So we're not going to go into the whole, you know, you know, should he or should they or not, you know, replace Peter or John. I think, you know, I think we're all either supportive of it or open to it. So I don't think that's that interesting to discuss. Is it more likely that Pete will get removed from that job or that Pete will leave the job? Nathan, let's start with you on that one. I mean, so I, people have been really critical of Jody Allen. Um, and I don't quite know why, because, you know, I've been talking about whether Pete should get fired for a few years now. And the overwhelming response is just incredibly angry screaming. Um, and so I don't know what people have been expecting Jody Allen to do in the last, you know, however long she's been here now. Um, that said, it, it's by all accounts, she is not super plugged in to the day to day or, or whatever. I, I don't know. So my my thought is that it's probably more likely that Pete would walk away than she would step in and fire the most successful coach in franchise history. Um, but I really have no idea. I mean, we've never seen her in this situation, so I don't know what to expect. Jeff, how about you? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Um, it's hard for me to envision. I, I know very little about this ownership group. And Brian, you're probably much more tied in through the Blazers and Bert Coley, you've mentioned a lot. I don't know much about him. So I think Pete, for a couple of reasons, I think I'm more likely to walk. Um, I think the USC stuff that came out was very interesting timing. I think that happened to come out the same week. Russell getting injured is very <laughs> curious at the best. And I just think all year he seems beaten down. Uh, maybe this is misreading things, but just hearing the way he described the defense last week was eye-opening. Using the words like garbage and like he was he was broke. He seemed like beaten down. And if, this, if it goes all year like this, and the thing he cares the most about is this bad, I think that just might be that combined with what Russell's future looks like. I think that might be just time for him to go. And if you remember how he left USC, he left them in a state of tatters. And I've talked about this so many times, how much his run at USC has paralleled this run in Seattle. And it's almost scary how similar it is sometimes. The championships, the way they won and lost championships, almost identical. And leaving the team with no first-round pick in a roster in flux would be very on-brand, to be honest. Yeah. I, I don't know that I have the same negative perception about like the way he would leave um I think that it could be very you know I think it could be very reasonable for him to leave and it's not a it's not him doing some terrible disservice to the team I think it could be the right thing um for the organization and for him and and you know it's hard to make those decisions I I think that 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 article that in us about usc interviewing him was weird uh, you know you could look way too much into it but it's weird for for an nfl head coach who's there's been a number of usc jobs available over the years and pete's been asked to comment on it and whatever he's never had a full one-on-one -on -one interview q a about the usc position in the paper down there like 
that that was weird and for it to come now when all this shit's going on with the team it just it felt like a feeler like could he get a conversation could his agent get a conversation started in LA and whispers about it um and to answer my own question I, I think it's significantly more likely that Pete would leave than that he would be let go so there's some confusion in the chat right now Pete did an interview with a newspaper about the open USC position. He has not interviewed for the USC position. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, yes. I, I think you were clear, but people are like, what? What's happening? The, that is very good to clarify. Yeah, the LA Times, I believe it was the LA Times, had a interview with Pete about the open USC role. It was not him interviewing for the position. Um, they did ask him at the end, you know, would you be interested in he said something he said something like no you know something to that effect but that doesn't mean anything <laughs> it means absolutely it not. was even a little bit weirder than that because he yeah. asked he it, i think the comment was something about like oh i barely know anyone down there anymore right, <laughs> right. which like to me that like i was reading it and i'm like it's kind of weird but i don't really know why you thought it was so weird when you shared it in the chat and then when he said that he's like oh, i barely know anyone down there i'm like oh so you're trying to like float this with these people that you don't actually know that well okay well and and to to add to why i think it's unlikely that he's going to be let go by the organization is you know despite our machinations and our conversation about it i don't think that the top of the organization has been un displeased with the way the team's played over the last few years um i think they want more but they've been a playoff team um so I think it's unlikely the the year that they let's say that they do fall apart this year, worst case scenario, and they lose a bunch of games and they're like way under 500. I still don't know that that's going to be enough. I think Russell could maybe exercise some power, but it's also possible that the organization is more invested in Pete than in Russell, whether or not any of us agree with that. I think that's possible in this case. And it would be a big move for Jody Allen and Chuck Arnold and, you know, Burt Cold to fire Pete Carroll less than a year, or I guess it will be more than a year after extending him. Um, it was a, it was a Paul Allen and Todd Lywicki big balls move to fire Jim Mora Jr. after one year as coach and pay him a, a ton of money to not coach. Like, Owners do not like to pay people to not work for them. I don't know that anybody does, but owners in the NFL especially hate it. I don't know if that person exists in the organization to say, yep, we're going to pay Pete a bunch of money to not work for us for the next four years or whatever it would be. So I, so, yeah. Um, along that line though, those lines kind of, uh, is, is there anyone that would, sign off or block a rest trade if if pete goes and he's got a he's trading for justin fields and two first round picks does that just happen yes you don't think there's anyone there that says no we're not trading russell wilson i don't i think the only person that could have done that in the past would have been paul right and that's because i mean i don't want to bore people with blazer stuff but like Paul Allen was absolutely burned by Jermaine O'Neal getting traded um, from the Trailblazers. And that move 
scarred him for life. He never wanted to trade another young player. He held young players he shouldn't have. But in any event, like, so he got involved in those things. And I think with a player at the level of Russell, I think he might get involved here. He would definitely 100% want a clear understanding and conversation. That move would not get made without a stamp of approval. But I don't know that I see Jody Allen stepping in and saying, you know, no, you can't do that. They've given Pete ownership of all football decisions. Um, so, yeah, I don't see that. But, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the major point here is unless Pete leaves, in my opinion, he's not going to get fired. So then what, guys? Just keep rolling it back. <laughs> <laughs> then we cheer for the Chargers. <laughs> <laughs> the Chargers are pretty fun to cheer for. We got everything right now. They really are. Um, okay. So, I mean, like, honestly, though, I mean, I haven't even gone through this scenario in my head to be, to be t- totally upfront. If Pete were to stay and John were to stay, you would just run it back. If that happens, I think Russ is getting traded 100%. Same now does, there's there's so much drama that could happen at this point. Russ could just veto any trade. But that's and that's the thing. But I think he'll want out. I don't think he'll want to come back. The same thing. But if they right, so, leave, so you said you say that they would trade him. Why? I think Russ would ask to be traded, and I think there'd be far more. I think they would have traded him last year if a better scenario presented itself. I thought the one scenario that did was pretty shitty, and I think that's why it never really got off the ground. But. If that eagle scenario existed last year, I think he would have been traded. Yeah, I think because mostly because John's just tired of Mark Rogers, to be honest. <laughs> I think it would be honestly fair. <laughs> like I honestly think like thing like we can get our three first round picks. I'll never have to deal with this guy again. We're selling at his highest point. Like I think they would have pulled the trigger on that. Yeah, I think it will be brutal if that's the way things go down. I think yeah, fans, I think that's the worst case scenario. Be, fan base will not be supportive of that, um, in large part. I don't think. Um, do you disagree? No, I don't know if I do. I mean, I, I don't know if I see it as clearly as you do. Um, I well, like how decis- decisive you are. It makes for a better conversation. But I think I lean in that direction. I I, I think something would have to give. Uh, um, I do not want to imagine that they're just going to make another trade for another veteran and give up more draft picks and try to like add more to this team. Probably. You know, that's, that's been the thing. Like, they that's have the been, thing, they've been pushing the limits on like trying to make this team, you know, trying to keep this window open or open the window, like wherever you think they are uh, for them to suddenly just bail on Russ. It, would seem a little out of character I, th- I guess i mean maybe the tensions are to the point that that happens but is pete really gonna want to run with a, a young quarterback or you know try to do that again I, I don't know uh so let me ask you this i think that's fair i think that's fair so how much does the way geno smith plays over russell's absence however long it is factor into that decision I think it could mean a lot. <laughs> I, I do too. I do too. Right? I mean, for a lot of reasons. Like, we saw Gino come in and 
arguably like outperform Russ in that game. Um, and so if we're at the point where like four or five weeks from now, like Gino just looks like as good or a better quarterback, obviously that like drastically changes the conversation. Um, what's the bar? Like, what's the bar? Well, before you do that, I want to read you guys a paragraph. All right. To, to give you an idea of who Gino Smith has been. And for folks that read Tale of the Tape, you, you've already seen this, but, but, or heard this. So the last time Gino Smith started a game with two, 2017, when he was a backup for the New York Giants, I had forgotten he was a backup for the Giants. Um, in that game, he was 21 for 34 for 212 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. But here's the, here's the thing. He has thrown two plus, two or more interceptions in nine games in his career, okay? He has thrown two or more touchdowns in six games in his career. He has finished with a passer rating under 50, under 50, seven times. This is as a starter. He has finished with a passer rating over 100 twice. So that's the quarterback we're talking about stepping in here. He has never, ever been a good NFL quarterback by any measure. So knowing that, what's the bar that he has to hit for you personally? Let's let's set aside like the how Pete and everyone else would. Okay, it. so that was going to be my question for you personally. What would Gino have to do for you to start saying, "Oh shit, maybe Russ is part of the issue"? So a good question uh i have a lot of thoughts about gino i haven't really thought about this that much <laughs> yeah i don't know what the number is i think what you need to see from gino um is more you know if this offense starts to look more consistent which has been a complaint right um if they're doing if they're able to to really do more like over the middle of the field or if there's just more concepts that seem to open up. Um, uh, I think those, and obviously with just, you know, solid to good quarterback play, that's when I start to really have questions. That's not, I'm not going to crown him and say, Oh, now he starts over Russ or anything, but that's where I think you really start to have to wonder because if Gino can do that in this offense, what could, what could a Jalen Hurts do or a Justin Fields or even a, you know, I don't know, someone more above average, right? If, if Gino can show some of that and the offense looks different and looks more modern, does it put you in the running to trade Russ just for picks and then try to get Aaron Rodgers? Would you be able to entice someone like that? We saw them Seattle made a run after Peyton Manning. Could it be that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, if, if that's where you kind of can end up at, that's when you really start to have to wonder about what the future of Russ is on this team. How about you, Jeff? I think, yeah, I, I think usage of certain players will be really, I think the usage of DK is going to be something I'm really going to focus on because one of the things that popped my eye is just how he was throwing a DK on time and how clean that looked. Mm-hmm. And another one is going to be Gerald Everett and Disley because mm-hmm. we've seen what they've done with the tight end spot and how it just looked broken. Obviously the screen pass was very alarming, just how clean that looked. But I don't think, I don't know if that's a repeatable thing to measure. 
Um, to me, it's so it's DK. I don't think Lockett will be nearly as effective with that because Russell's deep ball is Russell's deep ball is by far the best in the NFL. Yeah. And I think Lockett, how he separates, I don't know if he fits as well with with Gino, but to me, DK is so important to this team moving forward. If he is more DK's a lot of his stuff with Russ is clean, but it's not the traditional like slant routes and it's a lot of broken plays and it's a lot of deep balls. So to me, that's a huge area. Because Gino, if you look at those numbers, he's never really played in like a functional offense around him. Those Jets teams were horrible. The Giants team were like, you remember Eli, he broke Eli's streak and they didn't have much around him. Offensive line, receivers, play callers. The Seahawks by far will be his best environment. Yeah. Funny that you bring up Lockett there because um, the the DK touchdown, which was pretty baffling, uh, he actually that was actually kind of a bad play. I mean, as bad as a like 40 yard, 30 yard touchdown or whatever that was can be because one, the the cornerback obviously just got lost, but I think he got lost in part because um, Lockett had torched his guy. And if you watch that play, you're like, Oh, he's throwing a touchdown to Tyler. Nope. It's to DK. (laughs) Um, I think that Gina really, and we'll see, you know, with a week of practice, how that changes, but as a, a backup coming in mid game, I think it was pretty clear that Gino was just like, I'm going to throw the ball to DK. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to, I'm just going to, I'm going to let that happen and I'm going to take my chances. And hey, that worked out pretty all right. Maybe Russ should just throw the ball to DK more. <laughs> Amen. I mean, it would be, it would be fun to watch DK, you know, get fed the ball 10 times a game for sure. Um, and, 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 you know, not enforced, but like actually, you know, the, those were all, for the most part, seemed like repeatable plays. I think the one you called out was a good, good example of one that might not be but I I think Gino's a really bad quarterback as I was saying I don't think there's any evidence that he's a good quarterback and I don't think he's anywhere near the quarterback Russell Wilson is like I'm gonna put that out there in case anyone here is thinking otherwise I think Gino is gonna throw interceptions I think he's gonna turn the ball over you know I don't think he's a winning quarterback so knowing that what I'm looking to see that will give me some inclination of implication for Russell is one, um, does the offense move more consistently, whether or not it ends in an interception, it's not a question, but is the offense able to be sustainable because Part of the question I have with Russell, and I think some of us do as well, others folks do as well, is does his style of play and the throws that he is best at um, uh, put the team in the best position to sustain consistent scoring uh, over a full game? And that's not just the throws, it's also the sacks and, and those kinds of things. So I'm really curious if Gino's able to sustain the offense a little bit better. My, my personal guess is that it's, it would be really hard for Gino to ha- start an offense that scored a similar amount of points as Russell's, because I just think Russell's a scoring quarterback. I think that's one of his strengths is he finds ways to put points on the board. Um, I think Gino's going to be a lot of a field goal kind of offense when he does get down there. I, I, I don't know. But if somehow the offense averages within a few points of what it did with Russell, that would be a pretty damning statement 
you know, in my mind, knowing how, how much less I think of Geno Smith than I do of Russell. Um, yeah, for yeah. all this talk about what what does Gino need to do, I don't think he's gonna be close. I think I think he got pretty fortunate in a couple different ways in the Rams game. Um, you know, uh, you can point to that locket, the the interception on you know the last play, uh, and say it was bad luck because locket tripped and fell and all that. Um, that ball wasn't going to be completed and might have been intercepted anyways. Uh, so I, we can talk and wonder about this, and Gino's going to do some things that might be kind of interesting or at the very least make the offense look different. Uh, but I would be awfully surprised if we are having any kind of legitimate conversation about Russ versus Gino. Like, I think that's going to get put to bed pretty quick. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I, I think this game's going to be pretty ugly for him. They have a like, week to prepare for him in Pittsburgh. And we, we all talk about the Steelers' issues. Most of those are not defensively. Just so, like, there's no misunderstandings. We're, none of us are saying that Gino, we expect Gino to look, to be as productive or be as good as Russ. I, right? Like, no, I, we've watched Gino play in the preseason for years and want to puke every time. Yeah, that's definitely not my point of view. But, um, yeah, so, so uh, do we have patron questions? I don't know, Nathan, if you we can do. take a look. We do. Um, before we do that, I want to take, uh, we're going to go out of order here and we're going to take Steelers Seahawks predictions now, and then we're going to do patron questions and then we can talk about whatever else we, we want to talk about. So while you're pulling up the patron questions, um, Jeff, what is your prediction for the Seahawks Steelers this week? There's a score or just how the, the game's going to go. I think it's going to be 24, 16 Pittsburgh. Yep, I, I've got uh, 25-14 Steelers. Ooh, you guys. Um, so here are the points that the Steelers have scored so far this year. 23, 17, 10, 17, 27. Uh, this is... I, <laughs> I don't think they're scoring over 20 points. I don't know. 150 this... yards in six straight games, tying an NFL record. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, what was the uh, Browns Seahawks game? Nine, six, nine, six, six, three. I think it was six, six three. three. All right. I'm going nine, three. It could Steelers. totally be that kind of game. <laughs> going nine three Steelers. Charlie Whitehurst. Uh, yeah. Oh, yikes. That would be brutal. So wait, who'd you pick to win? I didn't hear that. Part. Steelers. Steelers. Okay. So back to back weeks. Yeah. Our RHT crew is picking an opponent. And this time we're picking a crappy opponent to win. That is not good. So um, and people are talking about Juju Smith Schuster being out. Like, yeah, but they still have Chase Claypool and they still have Deontay Johnson. And um, it hasn't really mattered <laughs> so much who's who's opposite these Seahawks corners, other than maybe the Colts. So um, yes, let's talk patron questions. I and mean, we probably have a couple other topics, but let's yeah, so a perfect segue here. Jeff Silk wants to know, are the Steelers really this bad? Yes. And if you want to, we've talked about all the deterioration with the Seahawks roster. 
imagine it with a deteriorating quarterback and they have, they lost their three best offensive linemen in the offseason. David DeCastro retired, uh, market one of the pouncies retired and their left tackle went to Baltimore. So they have one of the worst offensive lines in the league with a quarterback that can't really throw anymore. And they invested their first round pick in a running back. And he's, despite even looking pretty good at times and they give him a ton of usage, he's a running back. And so their offense is just a team that just has receivers and running back and not much else. And a quarterback that just doesn't, he looks shot. So the defense has still a lot of talent. They lost talent to keep Ben. They had to lose a lot of depth, but they just looked like a team that's over the hill. And we talked about what happens to a roster that hangs around too long. They're like a, an old boxer that's being punched and shouldn't be playing anymore. And that's what Ben looks like. So yeah, they are pretty bad, but <laughs> they'll look okay this week. Um, all right, Brian, Sam Brown wants to know who is one player on offense and one player on defense you expect to have a big game against Pittsburgh. One player on offense, one player on defense. Um, and I think we're talking about Seahawks players. Yes. Uh, I'll go okay, with well, I'm... up on offense for some of the reasons we talked about before. I think um, I'm, it's a close second would be Gerald Everett. You know, I think, I think Gino might use the tight ends more. Um, and one player on defense. <laughs> um. Jamal Adams should have a good game. I'm going to go with Alton Robinson. I think Alton's had a couple down weeks. I think we're due for a little Alton uh, burst out game. I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to call Jamal Adams on that. Uh, I, with as limited as Ben is, he should be able to fly around and, and hit receivers and come up and make plays not have to worry about a lot of stuff coming behind him. So I think Jamal Adams might pop this week um can i offer one little bit of additional info there so yeah, just looking at pff uh players that were drafted last year uh, edge players that were drafted last year um number one grade is trevis gibson on chicago i have never heard of him um uh, he has a 90.2 pass rush grade the number two and number three Daryl Taylor at 80.3 and Alton Robinson, 77.2. So interesting. Chase Young, by the way, is is also 77.2. So you can say Alton Robinson is graded just as well as Chase Young. Taylor is um, really good. I think we're maybe not talking about him enough. I agree. Um, uh, Okay. Um, Jason A um, says, uh, best case scenario happens, Gino and Waldron uh, and the defense finally play well and get us to the bye at five and three. Um, he wants to know, do you think Russ adapts his play style if the interim offense ends up playing well? I think Russ is already working to adapt his play style. Um, uh, I think this is a challenge because I think about the point now where the the whole intermediate middle and how he attacks that area of the field is falling into my players don't change um <laughs> like uh philosophy um but he is working it you know the the pick that he threw was trying to do that he forced it in there which he normally wouldn't do um which you know turned out to be a risky uh one popped up and and got a pick which is you know kind of reinforces a lot of the things people have said about why he doesn't um attack the area of the field as much 
Um, but so I think he's already trying to adapt. And I think one of the most disappointing things for me is that the fact that he didn't pick it up quickly means I don't know how much he can pick it up. Um, yeah, so I think he will keep trying, but I don't know that it's going to make any big difference either way. Um, he's seen a lot of quarterbacks be really successful throughout the NFL and continues to play the way he plays. So I don't think it's going to make a big difference. Uh, all right, I think that's it for um, Patreon questions. All right. So, um, what's the, so if we all picked the Seahawks to lose this game, um, what would be the, the path for the Seahawks to win it? Um, and let's start with, with you, Jeff. What would that look like? What would, the, how, what would the game script look like? I think they need turnovers on defense. Uh, there's been so few of them. Uh, Jamal Adams, maybe it comes from him, maybe it comes from the corner. I think that I think I have to steal a couple of possessions, and I think they have to limit turnovers offensively and score in the red zone. So I think they're going to be able to stay in this game because Pittsburgh's not that explosive of a team, and they're going to have to limit turnovers. But I think they're going to have to steal something. And Ben is the freaking Ben turns the ball over, so I think that plays in their favor. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think special teams has to have a good day today, and I don't think we've talked enough about that. Special teams has been a weakness for the Seahawks this year. It's been almost as bad as the the defense in terms of things like DVOA, um, the way they've played this year. What, so, and does kicking factor into that? Because yes, really, all three of their losses have been missed kicks. Yeah. Yeah, it's been years uh, since they've had good special teams, right? Even with like Michael Dixon, they were awesome. They were top five. Yeah, last year they were, but like before that, no, they were like we were yelling about Brian Schneider forever. Yes. They had one good year last year. Now they're back to being bad again. Yeah, kind of weird. So, um, but yeah, I, I think I think the other thing that I would really think would help is, uh, you know, I think Gino's going to have to have a good day. I think Gino, if Gino plays, let's say for a second that the two drives that we saw from Gino before the interception were how Gino is going to play. Um, they could win. Like that was good enough quarterback play to win a football game. Um, I don't know if I believe it's going to happen, uh, but, but that, that would be what I, I think turnovers plus Gino playing at that level. I don't know that I believe the Seahawks are able to run the ball effectively against the Steelers. So if they can, that would certainly help. But I don't know that I believe that's 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 really a realistic possibility. Yeah, I don't think it's hard to see the Seahawks winning this game. And I don't think it's hard to see the Seahawks blowing him out. I think if Gino plays like he did at the end of the Rams game, then this could go on to be a blowout. I think the Steelers are really bad and, you know, but um, I, mean, I did pick him to lose. So I don't think that's going to happen necessarily, but I don't think it's hard to see it either. The big thing it might just be how often we hear TJ Watt's name. Um, I think if we're hearing his name a lot, uh, then I think we're going to see that 9-3 score I predicted. And I think if we're not hearing it much, then, you know, it's not hard to see them winning this game 21-17 or, uh, you know, something like that. I think it's important, definitely before we wrap, um, to get your final thoughts about Trey Flowers, uh, who was released today by the Seahawks. I mean, I know this is a tough day for all Seahawks fans. Uh, you know, Nathan, how, how are you processing this? I feel bad because... I mean, he's like a fifth round pick. He converted from safety. He's worked his ass off and he's had a tough time, right? And he's just not a very good player. And that's no knock on, I mean, knock on him as a person or anything. Um, and so I feel like, you know, any Trey Flowers jokes are really kind of punching down. 
Um, but I also have had a lot of people in my mentions telling me that I don't know anything about football and Trey Flowers is obviously good. And if I just understood the the assignments, I would know why he's giving up curl routes underneath himself or, or slants or outs or, you know, just and getting beat over the top constantly. Like, so there's a lot of people out there, uh, random internet folks that I uh, would like to dunk on, but I don't want to go too hard about it just because it feels... I, picking on Trey just feels mean. Like there's there's no no real animosity there he's a late round pick who did his best and i you know wish him well jeff you want to be mean uh yeah i seem to feast on (laughs) i seem to feast on the week uh brandon jackson was like my least favorite player ever he basically is everything nathan just described like a low ceiling undrafted player this is everything nathan said is true and i should preface my opinion saying like it's nothing against Trey. He's a low round pick. He's hard to hate. He was put in a position really that he probably shouldn't have been in, but watching him play every year drove me nuts. Cause he like, he fits the Nathan's players don't change mold perfectly because every year we hear the coaching staff talk about how he's turned a corner and how he looks great in practice and how different he looks and he's playing with confidence and then the game starts and he's the exact same player. He's just so frustrating that he's always seemed to be around the ball and it can never make a planet and just, he would give up. There was that Eagles playoff game where he was just so, so bad a couple of years ago. And then he had the really bad Packers game where the team decided to line him up against Devontae Adams for half the game, but which again, is probably more of a Pete Ken Norton thing than his fault. But I, he probably shouldn't have been a starter all these years because we saw his weaknesses. So not having to watch him play for me is a, a win, but I feel bad for the guy. He's more of a man corner. He probably didn't really fit this defense in the end, but I just got tired of him and I didn't like the, the Richard Sherman thing he said earlier this year. And that, that rubbed me the wrong way where he, he was like, you guys need me to be an all pro player. Like you just got to do something like some reason. But I thought that video that Josh sent us was hilarious where it's like Trey flowers highlights. And it's just like an empty screen for 15 seconds. <laughs> that made me laugh. So you know, like, flowers I- has been trying to tell us about this defense. So like that whole comment about you need me to be an all pro corner. He saw like he, he was seeing the defense in practice and he knew what it needed <laughs> to be fixed. And, and then he had the comments about Norton after the Vikings. Well, not directly about Norton, but about the scheme and, and all that. And so uh, flowers has maybe been a little too honest at times. Yeah. I, I think, you know, Trey flowers leaving to me ends a different era of Seahawks secondary play. I mean, the Seahawks had the Legion of Boom and we had Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman and Brandon Browner. You can even put, uh, you know, some of the other guys, Walter Thurmond, if you want, and, and, and so forth into that group. And then um, they've had this just emaciated group of weaklings um you know i can't think of the opposite of legion of boom i think the legion of whom is so stupid so i'm not going to say that but um tedrick thompson and leno hill and trey flowers and you can kind of go on and it was just a a series of just horribly below average players that started games for the Seahawks and started a lot of games for the Seahawks. I think that these are guys that in general were Kerry Williams level players um, 
that started a lot more games than Kerry Williams did. And um, so, you know, I don't, I, you know, I don't take pleasure any more than Nathan's talking about in, in anyone's um, demise, but I am, I'm happy that that chapter has been closed. Doesn't mean that there won't be more bad secondary play, but um, I think Trey was the kind of the last of that particular group that was really meant to replace the best secondary maybe to ever play in the NFL. So um, yeah, yeah, interesting times. Um, for folks that don't know, Gerald Everett does look like he's supposed to be back this week. Um, Ethan Posick came back to practice. I don't know if he's gonna play. We didn't really go through injuries because you know who really knows how much that's going to matter in this game. But um, yeah, it's it's. I will say, and we talked about this on the the post game last week. I think this is one of the more fascinating stretches in recent Seahawks history. It may not be fun, may not be pretty, but we can't get a coach, a new coach for three games or five games or six games to see how the Seahawks perform with a different coach. Better or worse, you can't do it. Can't get a different GM or, you know, uh, different, yeah, trade some draft picks in that we would have rather had. But we will see what this team looks like with a different quarterback. And um, my guess is there's going to be a lot of people that are like, see, this is why Russell is like holding all this together. But there's also the potential that there's going to be um, points that we talked about earlier where we see things that it's like, wow, why, why doesn't Russell do that? He's so good. So it's going to be an interesting time. And I'll, I'll be really curious to see how the team comes together or whether they fall apart. Um, cause they're going, this is a, as much adversity as they faced in years. Um, so we'll, we'll see who steps up with Russell not being there to, to lead the team. Any closing thoughts, Nathan? Um, nope. <laughs> yes. I would say like, try to not stress so much about wins and losses of this. I know we always, I know the scenario is there. The next three games aren't that bad in terms of who they're playing. They could actually win two or three of them if things don't right. But I would say the healthiest thing is sort of look at this like you look at a preseason game. Focus on players you like. Focus on players that are going to be part of the future or guys you want to play better. Maybe it's Jamal or Bobby or Jordan Brooks. And focus on those guys and try to find things that you can move forward with because there's still decent – there's a lot of talent in certain places. There's holes everywhere, but there's – if Trey Brown gets to play, like that could be fun or – if the defense, like this is where you might see the defense. This happens with backup quarterbacks sometimes where they, they, they might go into like the peat ball shell and the defense steps up. So try to find the silver linings in this because it could, it could get really ugly quick. And for all the people that believe Russell's been carrying this team, you might be able to enjoy this time because you will have conclusive evidence of what Russell does versus what Pete does now. And this could be exactly what you've been looking for. So there might be some great silver linings in this next little stretch. All right, guys. Um, thank you. And thanks to everyone that, that uh, tuned in tonight. Uh, if you haven't already, give the show a like, please. Uh, and uh, subscribe to the channel. We've grown well over 7,000 subscribers. Keep going. Uh, click the bell to get notified when we go live. And 
join over at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Uh, really cool community. Game's going to be this Sunday night. We will do a post-game show. Uh, you know, it, it may be pretty late, so we'll see. <laughs> see if i can i, I doubt jeff's going to be uh up and around but we'll see and and evan's not going to be available so we'll we'll see how that plays out but the plan is to do a post game show who knows it may just be me um for all of you guys that are looking forward to that but we'll see so uh until then take care thanks for tuning in and have a great rest of your week uh this is brian emhauser at hawk blogger on twitter with real jeff simmons and at nate